Hello, and welcome to The Expert. I'm your host, Todd Vaughn. This week, we want to do something a bit different, focusing on a lesser-known field. Miles Shakurta, Alakom resident, is an archaeologist who has studied extensively in northern Greece. Today, we spoke about his area of interest and the field of archaeology as a whole. We hope you enjoy the show. As a side note, we lost power to the building midway through the podcast and had to readjust, so there's a bit of a blip. Miles, thank you so much for coming on to The Expert. How are you doing today? Not too bad, thanks. How are you doing? Good. I kind of wanted to venture out. We've kind of done some more hard news stuff on The Expert here, and here I just wanted to kind of talk to experts <laughs> in kind of maybe different fields that are pretty unique to central Alberta there. And uh, I thought having an archaeology is pretty probably rare in there. An archaeologist is pretty rare for the region there, so I thought you'd be a perfect fit for the show today. Uh, I guess my biggest question I have is where is the Ark of the Covenant and why haven't we found it yet? Well, the Ark of the Covenant is is an interesting thing to bring up to start off with because it's one of those fantastical things shrouded in a lot of mystery and stuff where we've seen sort of a bit of real archaeology about it, some biblical archaeology about it, and of course a lot of pop culture stuff. I mean, anyone who knows Indiana Jones, that is one of the things that first first comes to to mind, right? The the um, is that the second or the third? I know I always it'd get the, the order. It'd be the first one for the <laughs> Ark of the Covenant. One. Yeah, and um, but yeah, in terms of where it is, who knows? <laughs> if, if it really existed, um, you know, that's an interesting one where we could get into some historic research in terms of looking at the Bible and seeing where it kind of drops out of the text. But then there's all these rumors that have been going around for years that it could be under the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It could be uh, down in, um, um, uh, I was, oh, I don't want to get the name wrong, but down in, um, in Africa, it was trucked over there. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> yeah, so. I, obviously I was joking a bit with that one, but I was, <laughs> I, I was wondering, um, my knowledge of archaeology is, stems a lot from those movies, mm-hmm. and obviously I imagine that's not the exact case of how archaeology works there. But I'm wondering where uh, your interest in archaeology came from and why did you decide it was something you wanted to get into? Right. Well, I guess I was always interested in ancient history. Uh, growing up, you know, I was born in Stettler and it's, um, lived there until I was 12, then we moved to Lacombe. And fortunately, you know, between Stettler and Lacombe, Red Deer, there were some very good libraries around. And, you know, that kind of fed the interest um, in ancient history. So I had places to, you know, look into things, whether it be Egypt, Greece, India, etc. And I came to that point, you know, in high school, when you start thinking about, well, what am I going to do? Um, I thought, this is, I really want to study this, but how do I, how does one study these things and so I ended up, you know, ended up looking at what was at U of A and U of C and thought, oh, this, I guess if it's older than a certain period, it's no longer history. We do our, it's archaeology it's, <laughs> and I ended up in, in classics actually, in the classics department at U of A, but also the anthropology department where archaeology is housed at the University of Alberta and, you know, I thought I would do the undergrad and finish with that. Um, I just kept going, so all these years later, here I'm finishing up a PhD. <laughs> Absolutely there. I When I first went to university, actually, I went into a history degree, and uh, that was obviously a lot of time in the library, and it was uh, uh, primary, secondary sources, but it wasn't really hands-on there. I think the thing that I find interesting about archaeology is you actually get to 
go to digs, you get to see artifacts, you get to right. kind of experience history more hands-on, I guess. Well, and this is uh, one of the really, I would say, interest. Well, there's many interesting things about archaeology, I think, but how it is a very diverse field. So, I mean, you can have an archaeologist, but yeah, there are people who are archaeologists that are more armchair sort of archaeologists working in the libraries with research documents, that kind of stuff. And then you have the field archaeologists who are going out into the field, um, you know, whether that is eastern central Alberta or northern Greece or wherever. And even once you're in the field, you know, you might be actually excavating, so digging, or you might be walking over fields just trying to find evidence of some side of some kind of human habitation. And, or you might be an expert, something like a faunal expert. So when we have, uh, if we're finding a lot of animal bones out in the field, you know, I, I'm not an expert. <laughs> so we have to bring in someone who does that stuff. Um, so I guess in case of, in my personal case, um, I'm quite interested in landscape archaeology. So looking at how people are settling, you know, how they're, um, how they're spaced out in the land, maybe why communities are in a certain place and how that changes over time um, and what that tells us about society in, in the past. Um, and so I do a lot of work with geographic, geographical information systems, you know, GIS is most commonly known. Um, so I get my, my tech side on as well. Absolutely. There's, so there's obviously quite a bit of work that goes into it. I mean, I, I when we're talking about the pop culture depictions of archaeology, it's very adventure like history cowboy kind of thing and i'm i find that interesting because the reason i kind of went into journalism because i thought i would be like woodward and bernstein like in dark alleys talking to informants like the way that hollywood kind of mm -hmm. depicted journalism which is not really the case there <laughs> i want to I, I maybe i just kind of want your perspective on how pop culture has approached archaeology and maybe what it gets right and also what it gets wrong Right, well, I mean, it certainly does, in pop culture, it, it, it hooks on that, the mystique of it, right? Um, so going back, I mean, Indiana Jones, of course, is the example that slaps you in the face, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, and there, you know, it is a very say, unfair and poor portrayal of, of the field. You know, Indiana, really, Indiana Jones is a tomb robber. Um, <laughs> and also there, too, if we look at uh, Lara Croft, who is in was from the um, Tomb Raider book, the video game, and the movie. Uh, there's another portrayal of basically someone who is a, a robber, yeah. you know, uh, goes out, finds the shiny object, and takes it. Um, and that's certainly not what archaeology is about. Um, it's, there's a lot of, there has to be a lot of respect uh, for what we're excavating. And in my case, when we were going over to Greece, for instance, I mean, it is it is not my heritage, it is not my history. Mm -hmm. um, it is those of the Greek people, the modern Greek state. And so, you know, there's a whole process to go through there. Make sure you get your permits in place. Make sure your excavations are going well. Make sure you're documenting everything and making sure you're publishing what you find. That ultimately is one of the most important things in archaeology. So it's not just going out there you know, digging away in the sun all, all year long, you have to come home and put all your data together and publish it. And then also make sure any artifacts you find uh, are properly conserved, dealt with, uh, stored, possibly put on display. You know, there's, there's a whole planning process that 
I think a lot of of course any of these pop culture things you don't see um, because you it, it's from beginning to end the whole research stage of planning doing the work but then also being responsible at the end of the project and making sure things are just I guess made available whether that's through publications or a museum exhibit something like that absolutely you want to talk about maybe how the science of that developed because I think uh, the way that maybe uh, 19th century archaeology is depicted there was maybe was a bit more of that kind of colonialist grave mm -hmm. robber going into mm -hmm. other people's homes and taking stuff or moving it to museums in Britain or wherever else right so it feels like the field has probably developed quite a bit since then I would like say and that science in that respect is kind of more baked into it than it maybe originally was oh absolutely of course when we look back into the you know, 19th century and even earlier, it, it, there, there were some people doing a bit of scientific work, even um, like Thomas Jefferson in the States did some excavations that were semi-scientific in terms of, you know, excavating mounds in um, the Northeast uh, U.S. and doing it basically stratigraphically, as we call it, by digging through the layers and re recognizing as you go down, it's older and older, and, but but yeah, when we when we talk about the big civilizations of the, well, I shouldn't say big civ, but Western the ones, civilizations, the ones like that. that pop into mind, if you go to the British Museum, you know, you see stuff there from Egypt, from Greece, from Italy, etc. Yeah, there is. It was part of colonialism as you're going into these countries. Not it wasn't just taking their resources, but also taking their cultural resources. Um, we could go <laughs> sideline a lot into that yeah. issue. Um, but in terms of how archaeology has developed over the course of the 20th century, yeah, it's there's various stages, and you could you basically take entire courses in, in your fourth year of, under, of undergraduate. Maybe, maybe just kind of overly on how it's more respect. <laughs> maybe just overly on how it's more respectful now, I guess, comparatively. Right. Well, first of all, the, the, on the scientific side, you know, it is a stain or a painstaking process. It's not about looting and treasure anymore. About finding data and also not just looking at the big shiny objects, but everyday life, like you and me. Like we are people who carry out lives in this world. We're not a prime minister or anything, but we're those are the those people's stories are what actually tells a story about a culture and a group. And mm -hmm. that's what I think archaeology is getting more and more focused on over the years. Um, and of course, how we go about our research has changed. Um, to go along with the research questions we're asking. Now in terms of, yeah, respecting other cultures uh, um, and what we do with some of these items that are in museums, um, it is not an easy thing to deal with because there's so much stuff out there mm -hmm. um, that kind of has to be dealt with almost on a piece-by-piece a -piece basis. Certainly groups uh, like the Archaeological Institute of America and other groups have adopted various uh, ethics policies through the year. Um, and so now things like do need to be documented, mm -hmm. um, but there still is a large black market trade in antiquities. It's one of the behind uh, weapons drugs, there's antiquities. Um, some of my professors in, in, in Los Angeles actually worked with the FBI and CIA on things. Um, so yeah, it's something we need to be diligent about. Now in terms of yeah, repatriation. What do we do with something like the Parthenon marbles mm. that are in the British Museum? Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because obviously you work 
in Greece there. So maybe what's the difference between what they did then where they they carted off the Parthenon, basically to the British Museum, compared to what you do now when you're in Greece? Yeah, so in, in the case when we look at these the so-called Elgin marbles that are in the British Museum, you know, this, this came about from Lord Elgin, who was basically ambassador to the Ottoman Empire at the time for Britain. And it's something I don't take any... Whoever you talk to, you could get one opinion on one side, another opinion on the other side. You know, Greece at the time was part of a larger empire. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Elgin basically was granted a, a decree from the Ottoman overlord saying, yeah, go right ahead. So was he wrong? Was he right? Well, yeah, we can't, we can't, it, it we can't go back. Yeah. And this, oh, and there has been a sad situation there over the years where, you know, there were some mis attempts at cleaning them in the British Museum led to them being dissolved because white was important, right? It yeah. to be a shiny white marble. They were painted, though, and, at the time. Well, back in antiquity, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Most of those temples just would have been full of color. Yeah. Um, but now we're, now we're in this situation where, well, a bunch of them, you know, a lot of the metopes and figures are now in the new Acropolis Museum. And, mm -hmm. and an excuse the British Museum always had was, well, we can't give them back because you don't have a museum house them right and so they built the new acropolis museum that's open now and the battle continues <laughs> you know and I, I maybe not so much in athens but uh, in other places there i feel like this is like there's two sides to this rope here and i'm specifically thinking about palmyra which was recently obliterated yeah. basically when isis went into syria and so i feel like there is something ensuring that these antiquities are saved from war from 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 danger but there's also that keeping it where it is i feel like that's a tug of war that happens in lots of places it does and you know ultimately i guess i would always side on repatriating things mm -hmm. recognizing the true ownership but there i mean you can still work you could still work into something like um a permanent loan mm -hmm. you know so if the british museum had Fair terms, basically. pieces, they recognize ownership of it, but there's an agreement that they can put them on display there. Because, yeah, no, absolutely. You, um, you don't want to put all the all the eggs in one basket in a way, because um, something ca catastrophic could happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, uh, was it a year or two ago, the, uh, the large national museum in Brazil burnt down, and that was just a devastating yeah. cultural loss. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I don't. You can't use that as an excuse to say like, "Aha, well, we deserve to have these things in our." Yeah, that's kind of like ipsos factos, think reasoning kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it is. It is always a delicate matter, um, and ultimately, it, it needs to be dealt with with respect and recognizing. You know, you like I said at the beginning, this isn't my history. It's not my culture. Yeah. I'm interested in it, and I've been very fortunate to work with wonderful colleagues over in Greece who have supported the projects I'm on. Um, so yeah, you need to keep that in mind. In terms of what we do, basically what happens nowadays is, you know, anything... Yeah, maybe we'll go right into mm -hmm. things anything. that you're excited about, things you're working on right now in Greece. Yeah. Well, I was going to finish this by saying anything we find on projects in Greece, of course, stay there. Yeah. It is property of the government, the Ministry of Culture, and, you know, what happens with it, that depends on a specific project, what stuff is found... You know whether it's museum quality stuff because let's admit it um you, it 
The data is really interesting if I sit there and find 39 loom weights in a room, but mm -hmm. maybe not the most exciting thing to put in a museum for the everyday person. Yeah. Um, how, many, how many loom weights do you really need to see? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but maybe we'll go right into what you are working with and how that process works and what is exciting you about what you're doing over there. Right. Um, well... Or your latest work, maybe. I could, yeah, there's, there's various things. I actually started... Um, one of the big things I was interested in are fortifications mm -hmm. of the Hellenistic period, so 4th century BC, and uh, specifically in Thessaly. And Thessaly is the area I... Could you I, maybe give a reference point for people that don't know that? Yeah, so, uh, maybe a figure that would be in that period that people would recognize kind of thing? Um, so basically the Hellenistic period is right after the death of Alexander the Great. Yeah. So Alexander dies 323 BC, and that's the Hellenistic period going on, and basically in Greece until the Romans take over. Yep. So, um, and yeah, it was actually Alexander's father, uh, Philip, Philip yeah. of Macedon, who started getting very interested in basically siege weaponry. And this, and so throughout this century, we see this kind of back and forth development of, of the offensive stuff along with the defensive stuff. So cities um, that were built at the time or walls that were rebuilt or strengthened, you know, have a very interesting design at the time. They're getting bigger and bigger, stronger and stronger, and dealing with, you know, how do we defend our cities? Mm -hmm. um, so in Thessaly, where I work, um, this is sort of not far, far north Greece, but sort of north of Athens. You have yep. Athens, there's Boeotia, and then you get up to Thessaly. And one of the reasons I love Thessaly is because it's a it's a giant plains area. It's, it's kind of like central Alberta. I get mm -hmm. up to Thessaly, I feel very much at home <laughs> um but the one city or the one site that i worked on starting at u of a is called castro califea uh that project it's an ongoing project that uh, marguerite hagsma of the history and classics department is leading up along with our colleagues at the larissa effort in greece and the volos effort um uh, but basically this is a city established well the walls that we have there were built around eh, 312 give or take and it's just a, a massive undertaking, you know, and it's a question of, yeah, did the city do this themselves? Did they afford it? Is, was this, um, do, what, did they support someone like, you know, um, Demetrius Poliocrates, who was one of the, the sons of, um, the sons of Alexander's generals, did mm -hmm. they support him? And he, basically, they had a donor who then gave them money to help strengthen the cities in turn, in exchange for political, uh, or for, for loyalty. Mm -hmm. Um, and our, in the case of our site, it's way up on a hill, 12 kilometers to the east of Califea is the city of New Halos. So Halos was a classical city that was destroyed by Philip in the 340s because they didn't side with him. And then it seemed it gets reestablished by, you know, again, Demetrius or Cassander, take, yep. your, take your pick. <laughs> There's arguments either way. Um, so yeah, I, then this was part of my master's work, just looking at well, we're getting all these cities kind of fortified at once along the southern area, along a bridge of mountains. Is this all part of a large regional defensive network? Yes. I guess more holistically, why were these cities building up? Like, what was the threat if, the, the like, the Macedonian Empire is gone? What are they kind of feeling they need to have these massive fortifications for? Well, at this time, you either have the city-states fighting each other, mm -hmm. 
or in the case of Thessaly, there is a constant interplay going on between Demetrius and Cassander. So these are some two sons of the generals of, of Alexander the Great, and they're they're fighting it out for Greece. You know, and it's sort of this week they're 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 it's kind of like a war of eighteen twelve in a way. You know, depending on what Tuesday it was, a lot the battle lines are going one way or the other way. So there there is a, there is a need to protect people, but also control. Uh, major routes in and out of areas. So that was one thing that was very important for Halos is when you go up the coast there, and actually the modern uh, the modern national highway drives right over the city. <laughs> you just go right over it. That was actually going to be one of my questions here because I know a lot of archaeological mm-hmm. sites are found due to modern construction where they mm-hmm. basically come across it when then they're doing a major project and they have to you know, consult yeah. people like you once they yeah. find these places. Do you want to talk a little bit about that process, maybe? Sure. So um, the big case, of course, would be if you were ever to go to Athens, you know, right in the middle of Athens, anytime a building goes up, you know, there's something underneath there. And there's a lot of neat little even apartment buildings and things that you walk around and you'll kind of you'll walk over a glass flooring and they've preserved what's mm-hmm. underneath so you can see it. Uh, the Acropolis Museum I mentioned, you know, part of that project was a giant excavation because underneath the Acropolis Museum is ancient Athens. Yep. Um, so larger sites, things like cities, of course, are more noticeable, particularly if there is monumental architecture. So something like walls, a large stone temple, you know, things like that. But if you get a little bit back in times or certain periods where they're not building structures as, as large or as largely or out of the same materials it can be a bit tricky to see actual s- remains on the surface right mm-hmm. so the early iron age for instance the let's just say a thousand to 700 bc give or take you know, yeah um it's a very difficult period to find evidence of we have lots of tombs from that period in, in thessaly but not a lot of habitation sites because you know that the structures are building are could be wattle and daub, you know, um, things that aren't going to last as long as basically like, dissolve. And, yeah. and, um, so this this comes where, or this is where yeah, that construction is often a big reveal. You know, um, there's a lot of stuff being found uh, in Western Thessaly along uh, new highways under construction, and yeah, it, they basically dig, they'll expose something, and then rescue archaeology has to start. Uh, and the same in the cities. Um, I, I guess maybe what are what are you finding then in terms of what you're looking for in, in terms of Hellenistic history? Are you finding Corinthian columns? Are you finding Roman bricks? Like what are you fi- like well, what are you finding? Yeah, like where where, 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 where yeah where on the spectrum? I guess. Yeah, you're... I mean in terms of the Hellenistic period uh, and and cities like Halos, um, Calathea. There's another project uh, a bit north of there that started recently at a site called Vlokos. Yeah, I mean, you see walls. Mm-hmm. You see walls on the surface. Um, so there could be some more monumental stuff. Certainly the city walls are usually the largest single construction on, on a site. But you'll also see you know, foundations of houses, um, housing blocks, um, perhaps public buildings in the center of the town, the Agora. Um, so yeah, there, there is, there's stuff on the ground you can see. What's the excitement like to, when you find this stuff? It's, it's the start of a puzzle. That's, that's the thing. It's what's on the surface is not always what's underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so going back to the Calafea project, we started that in 2004, and I've been working with, with associated with that project for a very long time. And we did about three seasons, so three summers were just surveying. So we basically had teams walking the surface of the site, mapping in visible architecture, blocks, stone, you know, stuff like that. And then we moved to excavation. And it was one house, or building 10, as we called it. And it's basically a house, but, you know, what looks like a pretty simple structure on the top turned out to be a pretty major structure with a lot of evidence for household wealth, um, household commerce, stuff very, very well, well preserved. Um, so, I mean, it, the, the excitement is, is ongoing. It can, yeah. And it can be a small random find or more looking at the big picture at the end of it when you're putting all the data together that it gets really exciting. This might be kind of a weird, but I'm always, I'm kind of interested in the way that these cultures looked at posterity. And I imagine there's some people that probably did look at the same way that we do because they were humans, obviously. Mm -hmm. So is there a way when you're in archaeology to find out how they valued their history and the people that were on the same places yeah. as them beforehand? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. One that kind of touches into some stuff I'm dealing with in my dissertation research is that, yeah, that idea of continuity and recognizing the past. And certainly in Greece, you have things like hero, hero cults, hero worships, the Herawans, you know, it's like, this is a place where we worship the, and not the gods, but the heroes. Like the I'm ancestral. thinking like the Elysium mysteries is what I'm like, you know, is that, that's out of Athens, isn't it? With all the Roman empires joined up. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, and you, even with, with Rome, you know, you see the emperors kind of are made divine and there's, there's a constant cult of worshiping yeah. the emperors and all the emperors before them. Um, but in terms of Thessaly, there's this interesting continuation in terms of burial practices. So anyone who is aware of, you know, the, of the Mycenaeans, this is Troy and all this, you know, the Bronze Age. Like Homer yeah, era. What Homer was like apparently writing. More myth and history kind of yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, if, and the large burials. Oh. Hey, we're still recording. Well, well, we'll give this another try here. We're back on the air there. Um, not exactly sure where we ended off there, Miles, before our power ran out of the building. <laughs> but uh, maybe we'll move on to what I wanted, one of the things I wanted to talk about. And maybe something a lot of people around here don't know is, is the amount of archaeology that's happening in our back door here in Alberta here. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and I know it's not exactly your field there, but I may, mm -hmm. just maybe you want, if you want to give an idea on the types of things that are being found here and why it's such an important study to kind of know about North American Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, this really isn't my area of expertise, yeah. um, but certainly there is a lot of work going on. Uh, you know, earlier I, I referenced um, surface uh, surface surveys. So just like in Greece, you know, anytime a solar farm or something like that might be put up, you know, you have to survey the land and check for any cultural remains. And it's the same thing here in, in Alberta, mm -hmm. um, where if you have a pipeline going through, uh, oil rig, you know, any power lines, things like that, there does need to be a check of the land. Mm -hmm. um, so that certainly uh, is, is a lot of ongoing work and generally in a field what we call cultural resource management mm -hmm. and that could be it's usually not research individuals but private companies so it could be a smaller company uh, even things like Stantec now have quite a few archaeologists in-house so they can deal with it all 
you know, with their own team. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's part of this area's history, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like Alberta started in 1905 when we became a province. There Absolutely. is hundreds and thousands of years of history going on there. And, you know, researching that and learning about the, the peoples that lived here is, of course, extraordinary to see how a group of people adapted very well to this sort of landscape. You know, mm -hmm. we, we were talking a bit earlier about how archaeology has developed as a field. You know, back in the day, there would often be used, often the term primitive would be used. And it, it's yeah, a thing I, I word, yeah. really don't like at all because, okay, just because a group of people doesn't have trains, planes, and automobiles does not mean they're primitive. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I would not be able to survive on my own on the prairies, you know, hunting and all that kind of stuff. That is, I don't have that cultural knowledge, but yet, you know, our um, First Nations here for thousands of years did and, and really built up extraordinary cultural um, responses to needs of this land and their needs. Um, so, and fortunately in Alberta, we've had many years, uh, really starting with Peter Lougheed and some heavy funding for, um, for museums and things like that to showcase uh, the history of Alberta. So whether you go to the Royal Alberta Museum in Edmonton, you know, they have uh, just wonderful galleries there telling the story of Alberta or, you know, down south and actually go to Head Smashed In Interpretive Center. You mm -hmm. know, you can, you can see this site, you can see the Interpretive Center and it's presented just in a very, very good way where people you know, can go and learn about the history. Absolutely. It seems, it seems to me there, and uh, this is kind of a, a rough idea, but it seemed like we talked a little bit about how archaeology was a, almost a force for colonialism at one point mm -hmm. in its history there, mm -hmm. where it's being taken to other places here. It seems like in this country <clears throat> that going forward, it can be a useful tool for reconciliation and, all, and reclaiming a history that was often forgotten in this province. No, ab absolutely, and mm -hmm. I think that yeah, th that reconciliation is is something happening in a, in a lot of places mm -hmm. when we're dealing with reclaiming history. History, yeah. yeah. Um, and then there always is a very strong attachment to history, and it can be it can be used to distort the past to feed a particular political agenda, if mm -hmm. you will. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen things like that in terms of um, in the when Yugoslavia broke up. Um, there's a situation where things like churches and bridges, which were the cultural indicia of a group of people, mm -hmm. those were the things being targeted and wiped out. It wasn't factories or things like that, which of yeah. course were also targeted, but it was trying to destroy a people and their identity. For um, breaking stuff. Yeah. And you even look at groups such as, I mean, not to go to Goddard things, but to if you look at Hitler and the Nazis, you know, they used this whole, you know, the idea of an Aryan race and the research done by a guy at the time who in the, in the late 19th century called Cosima mm -hmm. basically said, you know, there was a group of people here in Germany. They made these pots. We find evidence of their culture. This spread over Europe. Therefore, and Nazis basically took this to the point of we have a claim over all this land. Yeah. Right. Late in the problem. Yeah. And so that's, that's the, that's the unfortunate twist. How it can be used. And how it can be used. Nefarious evil purposes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a matter where archaeologists and historians, I think, have a responsibility to not only research this stuff, 
but also get it out into the public eye and mm -hmm. call out, you know, half truths and and really, yeah, horrible uses of history. Absolutely, and I, I guess given that, where do you see the field of your field of archaeology <coughs> going forward? We talked about how it's changed so far. How do you think it's going to continue to adapt and improve on itself going forward? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's a really big question. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is a field where we're going to see the 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 interdisciplinary nature of it incre just increase more and more. So yeah. it's no longer just you know a team of people going out and excavating. Yeah. Uh, the project, the Mathoni project, I worked on in northern Greece through UCLA, the University of California, Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. You know that project had we had excavations going on. We had survey, we had uh, colleagues from USGS come out with a LIDAR system. So we mm -hmm. did terrestrial LIDAR scanning. We had geo, geomorphologists um, doing coring samples. It, it, was, it was a very large project with people who are all had their areas of expertise doing their points. So mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of the field is going to go. It's going to be like specializing in, in any project necessitating an interdisciplinary team to put all these pieces together so ultimately we can do a better job at answering these questions of how people were living in the past and mm -hmm. and how they adapted to challenges that they were faced with absolutely there and uh, i guess something i see and i see this more in more fields than just archaeology is kind of a tension with industry and almost i guess future <coughs> a tension between the future and the past there mm -hmm. and i feel like Obviously, I, we talked about how cities are being excavated as they're being developed mm -hmm. at the same time there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that will continue to play out, I hope, in a good way. But I think there's still going to be, all right, I know Rome as a city, need, for example, really needs a, has needed a better subway system for years. Mm -hmm. A subway would go right through the heart of an ancient city. So I yeah. feel like there's a tension <clears throat> there that will continue to be well, push there, and pull kind of thing. There, it's there is a tension there but hopefully it's a tension that can be negotiated mm -hmm. so going back to athens you know, they did a lot of subway work for the olympics mm -hmm. uh, back, so back in 2004 that's why what are now the red line and the blue line were initially started mm -hmm. um and yeah i mean a lot of stuff was found um i think it was dealt with in a very good way and now to the point where some stations as you go through there are mini museums unto themselves mm -hmm. uh, the where the blue line or part of where you go through the station at Monasteraki, so just north of the Acropolis. Yep. I mean, you're just walking by big chunks of city walls mm -hmm. that's preserved underground now. And yeah, it took more money and more time to, to do this instead of just going, you know, kaboom, but <laughs> it can be done. And also they're facing the same challenges now in Thessaloniki. So this is the second largest city in Greece up north mm -hmm. uh, where they're building a subway system in that town. And yeah, they were putting the line through downtown and you know, right now there's the Via Ignatia, which is the modern road, which is right on top of the ancient Roman road of the same name. Mm -hmm. And they just found it there, like 20 feet down, something like that, perfectly preserved. And so amazing find, but also a challenge but for also those people. But also a challenge. Yeah. And, <laughs> and of course, there's always different ways of dealing with things. Another city that has seen a lot of this is London. Yep. You know, and we're dealing in, with London, a city where land in the in the in the in the square mile right downtown in the financial district is extremely valuable. Um, these are companies that are putting up large 
office blocks, things like that, that are not cheap propositions, and you don't, and they can't just say, "Sorry, we found <laughs> something." Um, work has to continue, so that's where we get a really, um, let's say, stressful case of rescue archaeology, where it's like, "Okay, you guys got a week, yeah. go." But then it turns in, in some cases, it turns into interesting preservation techniques. So there's one block sort of in the east side of downtown London where if you look at it from Google Earth, you'll notice in sort of the, the plaza that's between the two buildings, this circle of black stone, and that's the circ that's the outline of the Roman amphitheater they found. Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool. They couldn't they, just they can excavate come up with it. Solutions for but it. you know, there's a way to preserve it and and signify what was there. Absolutely. Obviously, I understand why guys, people like you and I like it. We have an interest in history. We value mm -hmm. it and stuff. Why does the maybe the average person that maybe doesn't know the history, why is this something that you feel people should pay attention to, should value, should continue to maybe, if not pay attention to, then continue to respect and preserve? Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that, and that seems to be a, a tricky question in these day and ages where it seems a lot of people are are concerned with, you know, lower taxes and, and meme, I think, you know, and which of course are all important things and why should we be spending money on, on something like history and archaeology. Mm -hmm. But you know, this, this is the, the, the story of all of us. Mm -hmm. um, I think humans have come a long way since 12,000 BC when we started putting up the first cities and there's a lot of amazing stories there. I mean, there's some things that might be more mundane like digging up a, a bathtub from the fourth century. <laughs> um, but a lot of more interesting stories that I, I think in terms of Western culture, I don't really like the term Western civilization as it's you know, yeah, mon a monolithic thing. Yeah. But you know, even here we're grown up with, or we're, we grow up with so many pieces of myth and just instilled in, like everybody knows about you know, Troy and Homer and Achilles yeah. and you have kid shows. You to know, various degrees, it's kind of what... Right, and it's... And superhero stories are based on... Uh, yeah, and... Like Neolithic stories sometimes, like... Pretty, yeah, so. pretty much. So yeah. it's just a way of, you know, exploring the roots of it. There's causes behind everything. Um, and it's just another aspect of of humans in the world, which I think is, 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 is fascinating. And, you know, just as much as... Just as exciting as dinosaur bones and everything that a Terrell can be. Same thing with archaeology. Well, I tend to agree with you. I really appreciate you having on this show and hopefully we can do it again one day. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Miles.